Today's sponsor is Audible with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge, and you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast about consumer tech. We are all about making technology easier to understand and use, so if you have questions about technology that you've been too embarrassed to ask, please send them in. Now, there are a couple ways you can submit your questions. First, you can tweet them to at Recode, or just to me, at Lauren Good with an E at the end, with the hashtag Too Embarrassed, because we do look for that hashtag. And by the way, there are two R's and two S's in Embarrassed. Sometimes it's easy to get that one wrong. We also have an email address to embarrassed at recode.net again two r's and two s's also we have a pretty good back catalog of past episodes on itunes you can go to itunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask and while you're there feel free to leave us a review a lot of people seem to like leaving reviews about the dynamic between kara and i that's kara swisher my co-host the executive editor of recode who happens to not be here today. Hey, Lauren, stop talking about yourself. <laughs> no, if you were to do that properly, you'd actually be looking down at your phone right now with your sunglasses on switcher. and talking about how like you're emailing with Jack Dorsey at this very moment, right? I got a big scoop. Filing a scribe about Donald Trump, which, hey, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading Kara's stuff about that. And you should check that out on Recode.net. But no, Kara is away today. And I happen to be in New York City where Peter Kafka, are you what? Are you a senior editor? What are you at Recode? Everyone's a senior you're like the at boss at Recode. No, I'm not. Really? No. No, like, that was me doing the care. That was not Kara. No, that was not Kara Swisher. In case, yeah, that awesome mimicry I just did. So your Welcome title to New York is City, technically Lord. senior editor, but yeah. really, I read about media. You are Peter's being modest. He's the best digital media reporter. He's the best media reporter in the business. That's all there is to it. Anything, anytime you want to know what is going on with digital media, digital. He's getting bored right now that I'm going on. He's actually no, embarrassed. I'm very good that I'm doing this. Anything you want to know about what's going on with the media business, media meets tech, digital media, streaming media, deals with cable companies, anything like Peter Kafka knows what's going on. So I brought him in today because I Also, wanted- I really dig hip hop from like 1992. I was trying to play some earlier. Well, the, as my as my pump up music, I can't play. It. I don't think we have the little that's cleared. But in my head, I've yeah. got some De La Soul and some Delight in my head. That's kind of amazing because yeah. you were like five when that stuff came out. Kind of close to five. <laughs> Me too. Uh, legal drinking age. <laughs> we were all born in 1989, like Taylor yeah, Swift, I'm right? Not, I, I'm 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 fine being an old guy at Vox Media. It's my role. All right. Well, it's kind of I don't know what that says about the state of media that you're the old guy yeah, at yeah. Vox Media, but um, yeah. So uh, we're not talking about 1990s hip hop today, though. Although I'm sure we could do an entire podcast on that. I'd be happy to do that at some point. But we are going to be talking about streaming media, and I guess you know that includes music. But yeah. we're talking specifically about the TV wars that have been going on, uh, and they really seem to have sort of heat up this year because now we've got a lot of tech companies like Amazon. Uh, Netflix, of course, which started in streaming media, uh, like Apple, starting to do more original content, fight for control over your TV screen. I've been writing about this for a long time and online video for a long time. And for a long time, online video was YouTube and things like YouTube. And sometimes the TV networks would put their stuff on something like Hulu or one of their own sites, but it was really separate. And you could either watch TV on TV or you could watch internet video on the internet. And now it's all merging. And so there's all sorts of ways to watch television content on the internet. You can pay for it. You can watch it for free. And it's the bundles and the the things they're selling you have now also sort of broken into different groups. And that's kind of interesting. Big picture, the TV guys would still prefer that you buy TV from a traditional distributor like Comcast or Dish or Verizon. But they are willing to sell you now TV packages on the internet, and you can just watch that way without getting a cable TV subscription. And then there's stuff sort of 
people like Netflix who are selling you basically a network, a single network that has a bunch of stuff in it, and you can pay them 10 bucks a pop, get a bunch of different programming from them, and then you've got people, sort of a middle ground where you've got actual individual TV networks like HBO. You can get now an, an individual subscription to HBO through HBO Now. That's a big deal. That seemed inconceivable five years ago. HBO said, we're not going to do that. That makes no sense. And a couple of years ago, they started doing it. And now you're also seeing, like you, you mentioned, some of the tech companies starting to sell bundles of basically pay TV themselves. So this year, you can buy a bundle of pay TV from Sling, which is owned by Dish. You can buy one from Sony. DirecTV, which is owned by AT&T, launched one just about a month ago. Next year, Hulu is going to sell one. These are all selling live packages of both live television and television on demand. Google is probably going to launch one as well. Amazon is kicking around. Um, so there's lots of different flavors of this stuff that you can buy. And I'm so immersed in it day to day that I sort of need to step back like for a show like this and go, oh, wow, things have really, really changed dramatically in the last few years. So you talk about bundles, right? And bundles are sort of the traditional cable model. Now some of these companies are starting to offer skinny bundles, smaller bundles. Right. Why is the bundle still such a powerful thing, though? Why is it that the cable guys are still able to charge as much as they do, wrangle the content that they do? How does that work? So the the two answers, there's the answers the cable guys give you, the consumer, say, you actually like this. You don't think you like it. You think that you want to buy an individual subscription to ESPN and an individual subscription to AMC, but you really don't. What you really want is a bunch of stuff. And by the way, the economics of this stuff make it possible for us. If, if you want AMC that's going to produce Mad Men, you've got to get a bundle of stuff that's going to underwrite that. That's their argument to you. And then the internal industry argument is we need this stuff to sort of sustain our business. And if people start picking off individual channels and just saying, I want this, I don't want that, that screws up the economics for everything. Disney makes a ton of money because lots of people want to buy ESPN. And Disney can also say, if you want ESPN, you have to buy ESPN 1 through 8. You also need to have to get the Disney Channel, the Family Channel. I think they've rebranded that as something else. And five other networks. And we can bundle a lot of that in. We can, we can get a lot of margin from those extra channels. It's a really powerful position. That is eroding slowly, but it's still the basic model that works on, on pay TV. And so when you're buying pay TV, you're generally still buying a version of that model. So on the tech company side, there are a couple different, I guess, inroads right to this world. There's the device side. We have companies like, let's say, Roku, yeah. right, which makes devices, and then they have their own operating system, and they sell a bunch of 3,500 channels is their claim, although I don't know a single human being that watches all of those channels. Amazon makes their own stick. I also have their service. But then they're like the Netflixes and the Hulus of the world. So talk a little bit about those approaches to tech companies coming in. So the stick slash box, I think, is the least interesting part of that world. They're generally all the same. They generally work the same. There are some distinctions if you, and you should think about this if you're thinking about buying one of these things. If you consume a lot of stuff from Amazon, probably don't want to buy Apple TV because they don't play nicely together. Mm -hmm. They can't work. I stream Amazon stuff through my Apple TV all the time, but it's not synced up that well. But and if you own a lot of iTunes movies, like I do, because I got a bunch of kids now, or I got two kids, not a bunch, but a bunch of movies, so I literally have hundreds of dollars invested in iTunes movies. So I have pretty much have to use Apple TV. But for most, because the Amazon Fire TV stick doesn't support iTunes, right? Right. And so, you can do because uh, Chrome, no Chromecast doesn't either. No. So, so I'm yeah. stuck in the Apple ecosystem. But generally, if you're a regular person who streams something from Netflix, and maybe you're going to get HBO Now or whatever, all these services all work on all the different boxes. You don't need a box because if you buy any TV these days, they have some sort of software embedded in them. It's usually not very good software that lets you stream this stuff. So it's just a matter of do you prefer a Chrome stick or a Chromecast or an Amazon Fire mm -hmm. stick or 
Apple TV. They're all basically interchangeable. Yeah. We did a review recently called This Is My Next where I looked at the sticks, yeah. the news, you know, which are cheap. They're like $50 or less. And I'm not kidding when I say that a lot of the differences came down to, aside from those content offerings you mentioned, it came down to things like the remote. Like, does the remote have voice control? Does the remote have this button? Yeah. Does it even have a remote on like Chromecast? It's like it's buying a minor. TV, right? Like, mm-hmm. you might have a real preference about a Samsung versus an LG, but if you're a regular person, you just want the thing, you hit the button, and the screen goes on, you watch something. My personal advice is to buy the dumbest TV you can find because whatever software you get with it is still going to suck, and you want to. I think you're better off buying an add-on box like a Roku or an Apple TV because you can swap those out as they get better every couple of years. But again, you'll be fine no matter what. And then the the interesting thing to me is is the tech company as a programmer. So Netflix has been at this for a couple of years, or several years now, as a streaming programmer. They've made a big bet on content, and then their own content specifically. They're spending billions of dollars a year to both buy stuff from people like Disney and to create their own stuff. Amazon is following in their footsteps. They're a couple of years behind, but they're splashing a lot of money around for this stuff. And then you've got people like Google, we mentioned Dish earlier, Apple sort of nibbles around the edge, and they're thinking about, could we buy an entire suite of pay TV and then resell that to you, the consumer? Um, We've been waiting for these tech guys to get into that world, and they haven't really yet. They're sort of nibbling at the edge. So you mentioned that Netflix is spending billions of dollars. That is a big capital investment. Same with Amazon. Is it, or do you think it's worth it for these companies to get into more original content? Well, it's Netflix is, has to spend money on content. That's their business, right? So the question is whether they can buy it from studios or, or own their own. They got into streaming by buying pretty much anything that the TV networks would sell them. And the TV guys used to sort of laugh at Netflix. They're like, these guys are buying our leftovers and we're charging a huge price and it's all profit to them. And we're selling them our crappiest stuff and they'll buy whatever. And then they eventually realized, oh, shit, Netflix has created a competitive service to us using our product. They've taught people to stop watching our TV shows when they're on the air and wait for them to go on Netflix when they can see them with no commercials. We're screwed. We're going to stop selling them as much stuff. We're going to pull back. Netflix sort of figures this out as it's happening and says, well, we're going to start buying and creating our own stuff. They start with House of Cards, and they sort of ramp that up. They're now doubling their their output every year. So there's a gazillion shows. It used to be a big deal when, when Netflix announced a new show, and now they just, just release new shows periodically. Yeah, sometimes you go to the app and you say, oh, what's, the, what's yeah. this? Oh, okay, cool. It's and original. if you go to Netflix and they say, here's some stuff you should watch, it's not an accident. They say, you should watch stuff that we made. Um, they're saying they've curated it for you, but they really want you to see the stuff that, that is specific to Netflix. They think there's economic advantages, but the other, re- the other reality is it is harder for them to buy stuff from the big studios, from the big networks, because those guys are worried about Netflix competing with them. Amazon is following that model, and the idea is you distinguish yourself in the same way that you might decide to buy HBO because you like House – not House of Cards – Ballers. I'm a secret oh, Ballers wait, fan. Uh, oh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. I Isn't just want to say Ballers. Oh, wait, I no, say no. Ballers what, out loud. Just, yeah, Game of Thrones too. Make, okay. Yeah. I just like saying Ballers. <laughs> Sometimes I text Mike Isaac, our old colleague, and I say, I like Ballers, but I'm afraid to tell people. So I'm telling people today, live, recorded, on air. You heard it here first. I'm a Ballers fan. So you might like that. You might like, uh, what's the Showtime show with the terrorists and Claire Danes? Homeland. Homeland. Whatever. Yes. So you get the idea is you buy a different network because you buy you like the programming there. And that's what Amazon thinks they will do by producing their own programming. And there is some overlap between the stuff that Netflix has, the stuff that Amazon has, the stuff that Hulu has. Eventually mm-hmm. that gets more and more distinct. Right, because some of it, it's not totally original. They're acquiring. They're acquiring programming from the BBC. They're right. commissioning stuff. It's not necessarily. Right. The business model difference is that Amazon, first and foremost, is a commerce company and they want you to buy stuff and they're packaging video through Amazon Prime. It's free. 
Uh, and the idea is if you were watching video on Amazon Prime, you're more likely to keep Amazon Prime. You're going to buy more stuff. That's better for Amazon. And so their economics are different than Netflix. They have a little more flexibility, but they're basically in the same business. Anecdotally, I was in the car with a friend the other day. We had a long drive. We had a lot, you know, a lot of time to kill. And we started saying, okay, what TV shows have you been watching lately? And I realized about halfway through the conversation that every single show we were recommending to one another was like OTT was something that was either so a Netflix, Netflix original, Amazon, yeah. it was an Amazon Prime video. I was telling her how I'd watched Good Girls Revolt on Amazon Prime Video, Fleabag, which was a BBC acquisition, The Night Manager, which I think came from AMC, but then Amazon got. Um, she was telling me about The Crown and Westworld, of course, on HBO. Like, no, I haven't seen Catastrophe. That's, a, that's an Amazon one. It's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to have to add that yeah. to the queue. Real I mean, I ver- it's very rare. I think Jane the Virgin is the only show that I've watched recently that actually I think came out on primetime Conventional TV first, TV, yeah. you know, conventional. I think it was on NBC, but otherwise, I mean, everything I'm watching these days is something that is either well, HBO, that, which is you know, yeah. or it's Netflix or and Amazon. That, that exercise is a good one if you're considering cutting the cord. I guess we're going to talk about that at some point, or and or which of these services sh- do I want to buy? What do I want to watch? You should think about what you're watching today, what you want to watch. In some cases, you might decide, crap, I've just got to get basic cable because that the, has the majority of stuff I want. But depending on the kind of things you watch or don't watch, you may be able to say, oh, I'm fine with just Netflix and Amazon. I'm good. Or just Netflix and HBO. Mm-hmm. You want to cobble together your own package. So doing that inventory of what do I actually watch? What do I want to watch? What do I watch just because it's on? There's a lot of stuff that people are – that's one of the big differences, I think, in, in the world we're moving into is the old linear TV world is, is predicated on – you're flipping through the channels. You don't really want to watch a Law & Order repeat, but you stop on it and you watch it. It's fine. It's just there. And here you're going to be sort of going out and seeking Searching. stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to watch this show. I, it's, it's on, I don't need to worry about when it's on, so I'm going to choose it. It's on demand. It's asynchronous. Uh, and that really does, I think, change your expectations for how you consume media. Let's talk about Apple. So earlier this year, a report came out, I think, in the Wall Street Journal that wasn't a particularly flattering look at Apple's sort of attempts to make inroads with the cable industry and come up with some deals or come up with something, right, that would sort of change the nature of Apple TV. You also had a scoop in Recode earlier this year about how Apple was looking at getting into more of a guide, a TV guide. Now there's this Apple TV app, which is literally just called TV, an app on your phone with the latest iOS update. It's supposed to offer some kind of universal search for all the stuff you want to watch. Doesn't. What is Apple doing? So Apple, for many, many, many years, has been circling around TV, and they've been doing two different things. They've actually talked about building a TV set. This is something Steve Jobs never talked about publicly, but our colleague Walt Mossberg said Jobs told him this is one of the things he was working on before he died. And also thinking, all right, how do we deliver TV? And the big picture was Apple blew up the music business or helped blow up the music business in 2003 when they launched iTunes and they got all the music labels to move their stuff to digital formats and also crucially to break up the album. You used to have to buy a CD for 15 bucks and get 12 songs and now you could buy each song for a dollar. And they wanted to sort of do something equally transformational with TV and they've been trying to do it for years. I've been writing about it for years, 2008, 2009. And they keep coming to the cable guys and the network guys and saying, we want to do this and they basically all get, eventually they get told no thanks. And the reason is the TV guys are not dumb they saw what happened in the music business. They know that the music business agreed to break up the album and fundamentally change the way they sell music to Apple in 2003 because they had no choice because they'd been destroyed by Napster. And their argument is, look, as long as we have the leverage, 
we're not going to reorder our business and give you guys something that you that you can't get somewhere else and tr- totally change our business models. So, and by giving Apple something, you mean giving Apple access to actual cable streams of television through their box, any version of it, whether it's through the box. They've, they've tried it a million different ways, but Apple's been trying to figure out how can we put together a bundle of television or some sort of offering that is interesting and innovative and breaks the paradigm. And the cable guys basically sat there with their arms crossed, saying, "No, no, thanks." And so over time, they've actually started to give the rest of the industry stuff that Apple has asked for. Apple hasn't figured out a way in their minds to find a distinctive enough package, a a cheap enough package to make it worth their while. So right now, they basically said, look, the future of television is apps, which really just means we're going to stick with the Apple TV box, hope that people find really interesting and innovative apps to deliver television through. And we're going to stop trying to beg the TV guys for, for stuff they're not selling to us while nibbling around the edges. They've put this TV guide out that came out this month. It's it's a half step. It's mm-hmm. an interesting idea. It's, it doesn't really do what they want it to do for various reasons. They bought the rights to Carpool Karaoke. Carpool Karaoke, and they're making a TV show called Planet, Planet of, of the, the Apps, Apps, which is going to appear on Apple TV. It's a reality show, uh, some combination of like The Voice matched with Top Chef, but it's about apps. Maybe it'll be interesting. Maybe it won't. We're going to actually ask and talk to Eddie Q about this with Ben Silverman. He's the producer. Uh, Eddie Q runs media for Apple, one of the biggest guys in in the media business. He'll be at this conference where I'm hosting in February, Code Media, and we'll ask them about television and both their original content strategy and the broader ecosystem. But they're still very short answer because it's long winded. They're just nibbling around the edges. They've said if we can't do something sort of fundamentally different. We're just going to hang back for a while. And, and why doesn't Apple just go to the content creators themselves? And why go through cable? They could now. They could do what Amazon is doing and start to build their own thing. They certainly have the resources to do it. Um, so the fact that they're making like a single television show. Isn't and there then, supposed to be with Dr. Dre too? What was that? Yeah, they're, they're also doing some stuff separately th- where they're making a Dr. Dre miniseries and they've done some ex- – there's a separate category of Apple stuff that is video but is connected to Apple Music and the ideas and they did like did a thing with Vice. and So if you have an Apple Music streaming music subscription, you can watch this stuff and it's meant to be promotional for that. The Planet of the App show is meant to be in a different bucket where it's not connected to the music business. It won't make sense to, I think, most people. They'll just say it's an Apple television show. Dr. Dre, Apple employee. Yeah. Haven't seen him yet at the bagel shop in Cupertino. I don't know. Um, If you do, say hi. (laughs) All right. Well, in a minute, we're going to take some questions from our readers and listeners about streaming apps and services. But first, let's make some money. Here's Kara Swisher with a word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by SoFi, and today I'm talking to Claire Arthurs, Director of Community and Member Success at SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company offering student loan refinancing, mortgages, personal loans, wealth management, and more. Today I'm asking Claire a question that some people may be too embarrassed to ask about student loans. I don't know which financial priority to put first, student loan payments, emergency funds, saving for retirement, etc. How do I think about this? Now you're doing other things for them, not just lending them money and then consolidating their loans or refinancing. That's right. In terms of this question, obviously having an emergency fund is really important if you are strapped and you're barely making it. How much are you supposed to save? What's that formula? Like your rent for three months or something? Yeah, it's three months of your monthly expenses. And I think that depends if you have dependents or, you know, you might want to be a little bit more safer 
but we recommend definitely putting aside money for an emergency account. And then retirement? I mean, when you're young, you don't think about that. Yeah, when you're young, you don't think about it. But if you're able to set aside anything for retirement, even if it's, you know, $20 a month, I know that seems insignificant, but you establish the habit, you know, you also have the advantage of starting early in all of those years of compounding interest. See how SoFi can work for you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. This podcast is also sponsored by Capital One. Capital One knows you've got questions about your credit. You may be asking, who's really in charge of my credit score? Casey Newton, of course. Or how does my credit actually work? That's why Capital One created the CreditWise app. You can check your credit score anytime you want right in the app. It's free to anyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. In fact, millions of CreditWise users have improved their scores by 20 points or more. So download the app for free today. Availability depends on presence of credit history from TransUnion. CreditWise is offered by Capital One Bank USA NA. This podcast is also sponsored by Indeed Prime. Indeed Prime is a talent platform that matches elite tech talent to top companies. They make it easier for software engineers to find and land their dream job. With their help, you can get immediate exposure to the best tech companies with one simple application. And when you're hired, Indeed Prime gives you a $2,000 bonus. That's their way of saying thank you. But if you use our Too Embarrassed Ask link, you'll get a $5,000 bonus instead. So sign up now at Indeed.com slash Recode. Indeed Prime is 100% free for job candidates and helps hiring managers discover available high-quality talent. Learn more at Indeed.com slash Recode. So every week we either take questions from our readers or we solicit comments from them online. And again, you can do that by tweeting at us with the hashtag too embarrassed, or you can just email us too embarrassed at recode.net. So this week we asked you for your questions about media streaming apps and services. And the first one comes from Vladislav Purge. I think he's written That's him before. That's why I made you ask. So uh, you couldn't pronounce Vladislav? Exactly. It might be Vladislav. That's how our my colleague says it at The Verge. Thank you for writing in. You've written in before. He asks, so what exactly is the benefit of streaming media over TV slash VOD slash download? Is it space saving? Is it the live feeling of watching or question mark? Um, I th- I'm not quite sure what the question means, but I think that distinction of, of, of how are you getting your television and are you getting it from a linear TV channel? Are you downloading it? Are you streaming it? It's pretty much getting obviated, right? It's all going to be the same thing. You can certainly now watch all of your television via streaming. It's literally the same thing. There's no difference. It's 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 about how you're paying for it and what's convenient for you, the consumer, to access it. And even the download stuff, which used to be a distinction, like if you were streaming, you had to have a live internet connection. If it downloaded, you could take it with you. That's going away because Amazon lets you download their shows and take you with take them with you. Netflix is starting to do that. I think you'll see other folks do that. Those aren't technical restrictions. Those are business restrictions. And again, I think that's just going to go away. So short answer is there's no difference. There's no difference. But it does save you space, I guess, rather than downloading something directly to a device. And then the difference is, too, if you're on a plane or somewhere without service, yeah, you're not going to be able to stream. For most people, you right, you're going to have a Wi-Fi connection. You're going to hit a button and something is going to come onto a screen. If your choice and you're choosing, your only decision is, what am I going to watch? How am I going to pay for it? And the other question is, am I going to just going to come on my wireless bill or not? It's a separate thing. Right. Okay. Next question is from Jessica Swarner. Is there really any downside to sharing streaming service passwords? It seems like the whole world does it. Nope. Share away. Um, the network's all Password know sharing is not like the Napster of 2015. Nope. They all know you're doing it. They're okay with it. Eventually, they'll crack down if, when it becomes a problem. But right now, they've HBO is really fine with you 
sharing your HBO Now or HBO Go password with, I think, my mom, my brother, my sister, at least three people you who are related to me. Yet. You can you can expense your kidding. own. I think I pay but yeah, for I'm keeping it. the I'm keeping the extended Kafka family in, in HBO. What about uh, Netflix? Is there a Netflix, Netflix is fine with it too. I thought there, were, well, I thought there was a limit around. Five, they would. No? They would like. Yeah, at some point, if you're doing it with a dozen people, they'll notice it. Um, they, they, in theory, they because they're starting to sort of to segment and say, "All right, you can have multiple streams within a house at a time." They'll notice it. If, the real issue would be like if you and all of your friends were watching different stuff at the different at different times. They really don't care. Um, they're not spending their time and energy trying to crack down on it, and they basically hope this is marketing for them. So go ahead and share. Okay, Jessica, go ahead and share your passwords with everybody. Post it on a, I don't know, post it on Reddit. Just let everybody use it. Maybe don't yeah, do that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't post anything on Reddit, actually. <laughs> the next question is from Andre Kozak. He's Alvin TC on Twitter, who asks, how long will we wait for the same U.S. content in EU? I hate this region selection. I know it's about licensing. Well, it sounds like he hit the nail on the head. It's about licensing, but... How long do people generally have to wait? And maybe, you know what, talk a little bit about windowing in general and how that works. So windowing in general is this idea that the, the TV and movie guys have, which is different people in different parts of the country and different parts of the world get access to different things at different times for different amounts of money. That changes depending on what you're talking about. Now we've like when a new movie comes out, it's generally released entirely around the world at the same time. Um, it used to be sort of staggered. Now the idea is we'll do it in one big push. It's meant to push down on piracy, among other things. That exists in TV, um, music to some degree, some other weird stuff. Um, it generally makes no sense to a consumer. It's generally a way for, for biz dev guys and lawyers to get paid by creating these distinctions and getting different amounts of money for different countries. The good news is it's going away. You can thank Netflix for this in large part because they're making a big push to say when we buy something from a studio, we want international rights. We want to be able to show this to everyone around the world at the same time. Um, and so you're seeing more and more of that coming out from Netflix. When they roll out a new show, it's available worldwide. Amazon is making a similar push. Uh, the bad news is there's lots of traditional TV, lots of traditional movie deals that are going to be segmented and have different day and date and different restrictions. So you're going to be stuck with that to varying degrees. The nice thing is it is changing. It is getting better. There's also a report recently that Apple is looking to cut down the window time for new movies to, to two weeks possibly to pay for a two-week two window. That's a slightly that different true? thing. But yeah, the movie, the movie studios all realize that there's a segment of the population that doesn't want to wait nine months to see a new movie but doesn't want to see it in a theater. I'm in that group, right, for kid reasons or just convenient reasons or whatever, um, where I pay a premium but to see a new movie relatively soon after it comes out. The movie theaters, who obviously have would be impacted by this, have been fighting this for years. The movie studios keep trying to get them to change it. They're sort of stuck. So Apple said, we're interested in doing this. Sean Parker, uh, formerly of Napster fame, wants to, has a version of this. A lot of folks are trying this out. The movie studios have recently made noises that suggest that they're sort of closer to getting some version of this out there, but we haven't seen it yet. They tried this a couple of years ago. There was a crappy, I think it was Eddie Murphy movie, or Ben Stiller movie, or maybe both. Tower Heist? Remember Tower Heist? Oh, I don't remember. There were a couple of these where they tried, they tried saying, all right, we're going to do this. A bunch of the movie theaters freaked out. They were able, but basically you could see this terrible Ben Stiller or Eddie Murphy, or maybe they were together, maybe it's a buddy movie. Um, and you could see it at home for 50 bucks, and no one wanted to see it because it was a terrible movie. Um, but they are moving towards this idea. Can you imagine paying $50 to see a bad movie at home, just to see it at home? Well, yeah. Would, what the, kind of movie would you pay $50 to Well, I'd like it to, to be a good movie, home. but the math is... Basically, if 
we hire a babysitter to watch my two beautiful young boys, and we step out to go see a movie, we are spending about 50 bucks before we get to the movie theater, in just in babysitting. But you're sort of, you're, you're putting the value on all of those, like, ancillary things of the experience. And in this case, you're really just putting the value on the content itself and $50. Yeah, look, and, like and lots of people, not, not me, have, a, have, a, have a home set up that's much better than the theater they're going to. There's lots of reasons to go out and see a movie that, that are fun and people will still like doing that. But there's lots of reasons to stay home and say, well, just wait. Um, and that's what a lot of people are just doing, right? They're just waiting nine months or a year. I do it all the time. I see an ad for a movie, go, oh, I will enjoy seeing this in, in a year or two. Yeah. And the movie guys realize, look, they can extract some margin from me if they figure out a way to get it to me sooner. A little bit sooner. Yeah. Have you seen Rogue One yet? Yeah. I saw it in a theater that was so poorly put. It was, it, God bless, because it's cheap. I had to keep my coat on because it was freezing. And some kid like walked in from the outside, like in the middle of the, the show. And then I watched it in 3D with my kid. And I don't know how much it was Rogue One's fault and how much it was the, the theater's fault, but I couldn't see half the movie. I was like squinting. You know how everyone was complaining uh, that the- Congratulations, movie theater chains. You've just convinced Peter Kafka even further to stay home and well, pay Well, definitely never do 3D for... again. But remember, have you seen it? No, I haven't yet. So they, they bring back an old character and they CGI him and everyone complains about it because they've reanimated a dead person with CGI. And everyone was telling, talking about how bad it is and how, how you know it just looks super fakey. And my sight was so bad- that I couldn't tell this guy was CGI. I was the only guy in the theater who didn't realize this was a computer animated character. So there's that upside. Well, to answer your question, Andre Kozak, it seems like you still are going to have to wait for some content in Europe that maybe might come out first elsewhere, but... Get Netflix, and then you, you will have to worry about this less. But it's changing. It's changing. Next question is from at Zero Cool on Twitter. Will other companies follow Apple's policy of differential pricing for different countries when they do launch for example apple music costs two dollars a month in india he says so do you think he's talking about music or, or movies or both the answer is yes they're gonna they're gonna play around with different pricing in different, different countries mm-hmm. um and it's one of the questions people have about netflix for instance which is basically 10 bucks a month anywhere around the world and how is that going to work in india and netflix has basically said all right we'll, we're gonna we're gonna tweak the pricing but we get the different countries have different Earnings. different customers have mm-hmm. different value mm-hmm. okay there's short answer Yes. We actually had two email questions from someone named Eric Wise who asks, why is over the internet TV streaming PlayStation Boo slaying DirecTV now so much cheaper than a traditional cable satellite subscription? Well, we talked a little bit about this early on in the podcast, um, but short answer is... It's not. Because remember, when you're getting TV, you're usually buying it as part of a bundle that includes broadband and television and sometimes phone. When you're buying internet television, you're just buying a subscription to the television but you're still going to need to pay someone for broadband, so that gets factored in. You're not you're not getting this stuff for free. So then it's then it's a matter of how big a bundle are you buying. The Sony View thing is basically priced this equivalent of of a traditional TV bundle. Sling is as little as twenty bucks a month, and if that's all you buy, if you only get a twenty dollars Sling package and you only have broadband, then you are paying less than a traditional TV package, but you're getting a lot less. Once you start adding in Netflix for $10 a month, let's say you have a Prime subscription, which is $99 a year for Amazon Prime Video, then you're adding in Hulu Plus, you're adding in all this stuff. Again, you can save money if you cut the cord and are very judicious about what you're paying for, and you can even get free over-the-air television with an actual antenna. Millions of people actually do this. But most cases, a lot of people are not saving money when they're cutting the cord and just streaming. They're just getting more choice or different kinds of choice. Is cord cutting a real thing? Yes. 
It is. It is a real thing. It used to be only a thing that people who listened to a podcast like this believed in and knew about. And for a long time, the TV guys either didn't believe it or refused to believe it. Um, and for years, they'd say there was no evidence of this. Our subscription numbers keep going up. Okay, they're flat, but they're not down. Okay, they're they're flat or down, but that's because people are poor and they're living in their basement. And and once these young people or whomever get out of their basement, they're going to start buying traditional television and they're not going to cut the cord. And it turns out, no, they're either they are cutting the cord. They they used to pay for traditional linear TV and they've stopped, or they're cord nevers, never getters. Which is which is you got out of college x number of years ago and you've never had a cable TV yeah, subscription. Yeah, you're like, what's TV? Exactly. You're like, I once saw a TV with rabbit ears in my grandma's basement. Yeah, it's like everyone we work with what the Vox was Media that thing. And these used to be outliers, right? The people we work with were outliers, and now they are much more common. And this is now. When the TV guys like HBO comes out and says, well, actually, we, we didn't think there was a market for this. It turns out there's 10 to 12 million people that we can sell over-the-top television to. AT&T came out uh, with their direct TV thing last month and said, there's 20 million people, right? So the number of people the, the TV guys are now predicting might want to buy this stuff keeps growing and growing. It's growing as they start introducing their skinny bundles. It's funny. I'm glad you said over-the-top because I say OTT sometimes yeah. and Kara yells at me. Kara says, nobody just knows say, what OTT is. Just say internet is. TV, because it doesn't, it, over the top is It's a, an industry term. It's an industry term that it just makes no sense. It's and A normal will think, well, no one will understand why you're saying that. Yeah. I could barely explain to you what, what over the top means. In fact, don't ask me, because I can't. OTT goes OTH. Just you're over paying. the head. You're paying for television. You're paying for internet television that is coming through, through the internet, through the web, the world wide web. Yeah. As opposed to coming through over-the-air broadcast or cable television. Yeah, but you don't care. You're just buying... You get to buy... The exciting thing now is you get to buy programs and networks you want to watch. Um, you do need to do a bunch of work on your part if you want to do this. You need to sort of think through what it is that you want to watch. Um, if you want to watch sports, it's a big consideration what kind of sports you want to watch. You need to read some fine print. Um, a lot of these guys will say, oh, we're, we have broadcast TV, so you can watch NFL football. It turns out... They only have certain kinds of broadcast TV stations in your in your city. They may not have them at all. Um, so it does require a bunch of work on your part. And you can probably go to The Verge. You can go to Recode. And we can help you sort of sort some of that stuff out. But there is some work on your end. The payoff is you have a lot more choice and flexibility in what you watch. Yes, and we like that. Do we have time for a bonus question? Do we have time for a bonus question that's not about TV? Should we talk about Kara Swisher? I think, oh, I miss Kara. I love our She's podcast. She's on my podcast this week. She's on your podcast? Yeah, if you miss her, you can listen to her talk to me for an hour. That's fun. And that's a Recode Media, by the way, for those of you who have not listened. Peter's had some awesome guests on Recode Media. So you really, if you're into this stuff whatsoever, even if you're not, go listen. All right, I want to throw in a bonus question. This also was emailed to us, and it's about Spotify. All music streaming is now on a free-to-listen, pay-for-premium features model. I've been using Spotify Premium for about a month now, but I'm having trouble finding the value over the free service or my own downloaded music am i using it wrong so you've got a new spotify user who's been paying ten dollars a month for about a month now and he's not sure what this, the value is over free or his locally stored music you sound like maybe someone who works for the music labels because this is a big concern for them which is <laughs> if we're giving away our music legally oh via spotify if we're giving it away via pandora we don't have a choice there actually if we're giving away via youtube how do we get people to pay for this stuff we want them to pay for our music and the distinction is supposed to be portability. You have full mobile access when you get Spotify or a million other services that are like Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, and you have full on-demand. Um, you can listen to any song you want whenever you want. There's no restrictions on that. And there are no commercials. 
So if you're getting some version of free music, you have some manner of restrictions on that. Either you're limited in what you can pick, you don't have portability, there's ads, some combination of all of the above. And what it sounds like is this person doesn't listen to that much music because otherwise you would bump into those restrictions. You would notice, oh, there's ads when I listen to Spotify. Or actually, I can only pick a certain number of songs per day or per month or whatever it is, um, or I can't f- skip forward or backwards. If you're listening to a lot of music, you want to get one of these $10 a month subscriptions because then you never have to worry about that or think about that. Mm-hmm. There's the value. There you have it. We didn't even get into the advertising portion of all of this, which is just a whole other podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> By the way, Revelation, I started getting uh, Hulu, the, the premium version without ads. Which is pretty cool. Game changing for you? It's a little bit because it's it's network TV, which I never really thought about as being an awesome thing. But when and again, you can if you have traditional TV, which I also have, and you record the stuff and you DVR it, you fast forward through it. Doesn't seem like a difference. But when you're not when you don't have to do that, and when you're sort of watching current television and not having to worry about ads, it's life's better. Game changing, but just in terms of how the advertising business is impacted, right, by all of this OTT yeah. watching versus traditional television. But that's, once again, a whole other podcast, and I'm sure at some point you're going to have a super smart guest on your show. Yeah, or Rico you'll come Media. back to New York and we'll do another one of these. That sounds fun. great. Yeah, by the way, you can't see, but, but Lauren wore a very cool uh, New York, uh, what do we call this? It looks like a carpet. It's, it's a vest. <laughs> it looks like a carpet. Like a, what, you sold it. A tauntaun? That's right. I'm wearing a carpet. It's awesome. Yep, it's, it's great. great. It's a great looking carpet. Uh, yep, it's a shag. I like it. Well, I'm wearing a furry sweater because it's really cold here. I've gone California soft, and now everything feels cold. And uh, But I did live here for a long time, by the way. And I've got this faux fur vest on as well because I'm I'm super cold. psyched to have you back in New York City. It's, it's so great to be here, and I'm so glad we were finally able to do this in studio. Uh, you've been a guest on the show before, and this is even better in person. So Let's thank you. Let's do it again in 2017, yo. Let's do it in 2017, which is definitely going to be a better year, or at least I have to convince myself of that. So this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. If you enjoyed the episode as much as I did, as much as Peter did, be sure to subscribe to the show and you can leave us that review at itunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask if you subscribe you'll be the first to listen to new podcasts every friday or you can catch up on previous episodes where we answer all the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask seriously we talk about everything we talk about the smart home apple's new products whatever you want to know you can also subscribe on google play music TuneIn, or stitcher or just go to the website recode.net slash podcasts while you're there, check out Peter's podcast, Recode Media. Also check out Kara's podcast, Recode Decode. And then Recode Replay is our podcast that uh, basically gives you all of the content from our high-profile code conferences for totally free. You can listen to all those interviews there at Recode Replay. And Peter, you have another conference coming up. Code Media, February 13th and 14th. Come celebrate Valentine's Day with me. You're going to be there, right? I hope so. I didn't um, get the official invite, but if you're inviting you are me, invited. I'm there. You're coming. You're going to come on stage. If you like the stuff we're talking about today, you will like this conference because we're talking about media and streaming and music and TV for a day and a half. People like Eddie Q, who runs Apple Media, uh, Roy Price, who runs it for Amazon. All those folks are going to be on stage talking about all of this stuff uh, with me and Lauren and a lot of other folks. Go to Recode Events on the website and you can get your tickets there. The Verge, where I work, also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Neil I. Patel host Control, Walt Delete. Neil I. also hosts The Verge Cast. And once again, don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag too embarrassed. Thanks for listening. And thank you again to our sponsors. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes the show. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you have been too embarrassed to ask. Tune in then.